So I guess that's a public service announcement. Anything you post on Facebook can be used again with you. That was uh, Chris Meester giving. Uh, Katie was dressed up uh, for the 4th of July. I was celebrating St. Patrick's Day as a leprechaun. Uh, before we left to go to Haiti, we knew we weren't going to be able to celebrate all the holidays with our family. So we celebrated Christmaster giving all in one day. And honestly, I would recommend that for everyone. It was, it was pretty incredible. We brought in the new year. We sang happy birthday, I think, to everyone in the room. So it was, it, it was surprisingly a lot of fun. So I want to start off with a question for everyone today. Is there something that you have always wanted to see? You know, maybe it's the Eiffel Tower, or for some, the the Great Wall of China. Maybe it's the peak of a 14,000-foot mountain. Maybe for some, it's it's an NSYNC concert. I think they may be getting back together again, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure that everyone has something that they've just always wanted to see. For me, I think I've always wanted to see the Northern Lights. You can see some of the pictures that are coming up there. I think it's just incredible. And my brother-in-law just got back from northern Michigan. He, he heard that one night that they may be able to see the northern lights. So he and his wife stayed up late, and they woke up their daughter, and they went to watch the show. And he, he described it almost like a pool. So as the sunlight hits the pool and the light kind of ripples through the water, he said that's what the sky looked like. He said the, the greens and the blue lights were just dancing around. I, I think that sounds incredible. I hope someday I can, I can see it for myself. So picture right now that one thing you've always wanted to see. You know, Jesus talks about seeing something even more incredible. And we don't have to travel to Michigan. We don't have to travel to Paris. We don't have to travel to China to see it. It's something that we can experience every single day wherever we are. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you've been here the last several weeks, I'm sure you know where we're going today. And if you guys don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles around you on the floor. If you need a Bible, if you don't have one at home, please take one of these Bibles. It's our gift to you. So over the last five weeks, just as the video we saw at the beginning of the service, um, we've been diving into the opening of Jesus' longest recorded and probably most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. This week, we're going to look at the sixth statement in the Beatitudes that Jesus gives us. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's another way of saying it, that if your heart is pure, you will see God. I'd like to start with prayer. Lord, I just thank you so much for our time uh, together today. Lord, I pray that you open our eyes and, and open our ears to what you have for us today. Lord, give us wisdom and and understanding as we dig deeper into your word. Your word is alive and powerful. Lord, I I pray that you just clear our minds of anything we may have brought in this morning so that we can focus on you. In your son's heavenly name, amen. So in Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Wouldn't you guys love to see God? You know, what, what does that even look like? In the book of Genesis, we see a picture of God and man walking together, living in communion with one another. In the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelations, we are told that once again, we will see God face to face. 
You know, you can see in these two references that we have been created to see God. Everything in life between now and then is preparing us for that moment when we will see God face to face. To see God means to experience his presence. And God longs for us to experience his presence. I believe that if we all experience more of God's presence, that we would experience more joy in our lives and more peace. I know we'd have more hope. I think that we would have less fear and and fewer doubts. The bottom line is that Jesus was right. That if we see God, if we experience God's presence, we will be blessed. But Jesus gives us a prerequisite in this statement. He says that to see God, we must have a pure heart. So today I want to be a little bit vulnerable with you guys. I want, to, I want to share a little bit of my personal journey in seeking to experience more of God's presence. I've grown up in the church. Um, I think as a boy about five or six years old, one of my favorite things was getting dressed in the morning. I'd put on my shirt and tie, and I'd love to hear the, the ladies at church say, Oh, doesn't he look so cute? And we also had another thing that I just loved, and I was, I was pretty good at it. We, uh, we had Bible verse races. I'm not sure if anyone has ever done this before, but a youth leader would call out, everyone turn to page, you know, Matthew 5, 8. So we'd flip fast and furiously to that, and whoever got there first got a piece of candy. It, sometimes it got a little crazy, paper cuts, <laughs> torn pages in the Bible. But uh, I think you can see how much I, I loved church as a kid. So let's fast forward to uh, adult life when Katie and I found Genesis. It was amazing because we now had our church. It wasn't our our parents' church that we were going to or our college church, but we had a community now that we connected with. It was real and authentic. We really loved the people, and we wanted to get connected as soon as possible. So one of the things we did is we, we started singing in the worship band, and we joined a small group, and we started volunteering in the student ministry. Katie and I worked closely with Steve on that one. And of course, we went to church every Sunday. And, and so I, I think that we felt life was good. You know, we were living the blessed life. So now back on the hillside, where Jesus is sharing the Beatitudes, let's remember who he was talking to. They were not the religious elite. They were not financially well off. As Steve has been saying, these people were not the in crowd. They had been told by the religious leaders or the checklisters that the only way to be blessed by God was to follow all the rules and to go through all the motions. I feel like I can relate to these people. They believed that being blessed was based on observing tradition and following rituals, based on their actions and based on their works. Like these people, I had been solely focused on the outward things I was doing. I felt that as long as I showed up to church every Sunday, as long as I attended a small group and volunteered at the church, that God would bless me. And maybe I'd get some bonus points, put a check in the checkbox for reading my Bible a couple times a week, even if it was on the way to small group, so that when I got to small group, people thought I knew what I was talking about. I thought that these things would allow me to be blessed by God, all while I was living another life outside of God. What I realize now is I was missing something then. My motivation was off. My heart was not driving my actions, it was my mind. In hindsight, I was trying to earn my way to a blessing 
from God through some magic formula. Through a series of events about five or six years ago, God began to open my eyes. He revealed to me that I was living life with one foot in the world and with one foot trying to follow him. So let's jump back to to Matthew 5.8. Jesus says, if your heart is pure, you will see God. The Greek word for pure used here in the Beatitudes is, see if I say it right, katharos. It's the word for pure that has two basic meanings. The first one is to be unmixed or undivided. And the second one means to be cleansed. So in order to see God, according to Jesus, we must seek God with an undivided and a clean heart. If you're taking notes, an undivided and a clean heart. So when Jesus made this statement, he was likely quoting a passage from the Old Testament. A passage from Psalm 24. You know, Jesus' Bible was the Old Testament. All of his teachings and all of his messages were drawn from the Old Testament. And I found out this week as I was doing some research that tradition says that this psalm was sung on the first day of each week in temple services. So most of the Jewish people standing around would have been aware or been familiar with this reference. So let's look at Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one that has a clean heart and pure, has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication or justification from their God. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. So when David asks the question here, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He's essentially asking, who gets to see God? Who gets to experience God? And I think the answer is in verse 4. David says, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. The, The one who does not trust an idol or swear by a false god. So we can see both definitions of the word pure here. Clean hands portion is an image of a cleansed heart, one that's seeking righteous living. And David says, do not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. An idol is anything that we seek to bring us the life that only God was intended to bring us. So an impure heart is a heart that pursues something other than God. This is the unmixed or undivided definition. So knowing this now and looking back at my story, this is where I was missing out. I was putting all my effort on the outward things in my life and just going through the motions. I was trying to seek God, but my heart was divided. It was unclean. Again, I was attending church. I was going to a small group. I was serving in the ministry, but pursuing God was not my number one thing. Jesus uses strong words in Matthew 23 to describe the Pharisees. He says, they were like whitewashed tombs. They were beautiful on the outside, but they were full of bones and unclean things on the inside. I was like a whitewashed tomb. I had an impure heart. I was doing the right church things, but on the, outs- on the outside, but on the inside, I wasn't seeking God the rest of the week. Maybe some of you can relate to this. Maybe I'm not the only one. Maybe you come to church every Sunday and, and you feel like a phony. 
you put on your face so that people think that everything's great in life. One of the things I love about this church, we say the Genesis is a come-as-you-are church. We're not just talking about the clothes that you're wearing, although I love that I can wear jeans. But we're, we're talking about coming as you are with your struggles, with your insecurities, with the doubts that you may have. This church is filled with real people that have real problems. And if you're one of those people, I'm so glad you're here today. And this is who Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. So, if an impure heart is seeking God with a divided and unclean heart, what does living life with a pure heart look like? I think we have to make a decision. I think that's the first step. That we have to decide to seek God with our whole heart. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says it like this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Throughout the Bible, the word heart is not only used to refer to the the muscle in our chest cavity that pumps blood, but it also refers to the center of who we are, our soul and our mind, our will and our character. In, In other words, it's our spiritual heart. Of the 823 times that the word heart is used in the Bible, only a few actually refer to the muscle in our chest. It's obvious that our spiritual heart is of the utmost importance to God. And God explains it clearly to Samuel. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, God says, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus also made it very clear. In Matthew 23, it didn't matter what the Pharisees were doing on the outside. They looked good to everyone. They were following the motions. They were going through the traditions and the rituals. But when the inside was unclean, it didn't matter. David shares a picture of what it looks like to seek God above all else in Psalm 27. Verse 4, he starts off, he says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. And in verse 8, he says that my heart says of you, Seek His face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. The Hebrew word for seek here translates as to seek, to find. So there's a difference between just looking for something and then looking to find something. And this is something I realize every time that I'm looking for something around the house. It goes something like this. Katie, I can't find my keys anywhere. I swear I've looked everywhere, probably 20 minutes. Uh, Do you have any idea where they are? And she normally reminds me, hey, have you checked the shelf in the living room where they normally are? Yes, I've checked the shelf. I've checked the kitchen. I've checked my office. They're nowhere. So she walks out, walks over to the shelf, right where I was looking, picks up my keys and says, here they are. Am I the only one that has this issue? Are there other guys out there? I think it's, I think it's a guy thing. But... What I realize is apparently I'm really good at looking for my keys. I spend a lot of time doing that. 
but I'm not good at looking to find my keys. So there's a difference. I'm not truly seeking. In Hebrews 11.6, it says that God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So I realized in my life, I was not earnestly seeking God. One area that I noticed that in is that I, I like to hold on to control which is just a, an easy way of saying that I wasn't trusting God. Based on events that were going on in my life at the time, I had a decision to make. So I made the decision that I was going to try to follow God where he led me. I didn't really know what that meant, honestly. But I, I started to pray, and I, I started to give my future over to God. So the details are in the long story, but Katie and I moved to Haiti, as Steve mentioned, back in 2011. That wasn't in our original five-year plan, but we felt like we were trusting God, and, and I was starting to see and experience God in a whole new way. One of the most common questions that I get asked is, what was the most amazing part of your time in Haiti? It was incredible to learn a new language and to develop friendships, uh, to see authentic joy on people's faces when they had very little at home. But I have to answer that question that the most amazing thing for me in my time in Haiti was growing in my personal relationship with God. It, it was about six months into our time down there, and I, it hit me. I realized that I wasn't pursuing God. And I think that God helped me understand and to see that I had put so much emphasis on church and my small group and serving in the ministry that I wasn't pursuing my individual relationship with God. So when I got to Haiti, and church was suddenly in a strange new language, my small group and the ministry that I served with was 1,600 miles away. I had no connection to God. I had relied so heavily on those things that I was by myself. And it was a little scary, honestly. Because I, I thought that I had a relationship with God. I went to church on a regular basis. I went to small group. I served, but standing there face-to-face with God and realizing that, hey, we don't talk a whole lot. So I, I made the commitment to try to pursue God on my own, to seek Him with my whole heart. See, I realized that my heart was divided. And one day I would say, I want to know God and I want to experience more of His presence. But the next day I was avoiding time in prayer and avoiding reading the Bible so I could send a a few more emails out or so I could get a a couple more hours of sleep or I could just watch one more episode of Scrubs. There's, There's nothing wrong with watching Scrubs. But I was seeking the good things in life and I was missing out on the great things that God had for me. I think we all struggle with divided hearts in many areas of our life. I think uh, there's many of us that would love to have six-pack abs, but eat that other piece of pizza. I think that we do it in our finances, too, that we all want to retire comfortably, but it's hard not to spend that money on that vacation or that one other thing, and so we end up spending money elsewhere and not investing in the future. And Who wants to see more of God in their lives but just can't find the time in their busy schedule? Again, an idol is anything that we seek to bring us the life 
that only God was intended to bring us. And this is what the world does. The world pursues the life that only God can give through lifeless and meaningless things. If we want to experience more of God's presence, we have to stop mixing the world with our hearts. I think the greatest example of wholehearted devotion has to be Jesus himself. Jesus was not only sent to die on the cross for our sins, but he was sent to model in his humanity what it looked like to follow God with a pure heart here on earth. Now there's a whole other sermon series just on that topic, but let's look quickly at what Jesus said when referring to his father. In John 8:29, he says, I always do what pleases him. In John 5.30, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. John 14.31, I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. The one thing that Jesus sought above all else was God the Father. It was the aim of his life. Is God my greatest desire? Is he the one thing that you pursue in life? If not, you have to make the decision to seek God with your whole heart. I've seen how it's changed my life, and I know that it can change your life too. And after making the decision to seek God, we have to pray. We have to ask God for help. We can't do it on our own. So once I realized that I needed God, and I made the decision to seek Him, I, I made a commitment to daily set aside time to pursue him one-on-one, away from church in my small group. I began to read a devotional book because just jumping right into the Bible seemed a little scary to me. So there would be days that I would miss time in the Word, time in the devotional. But I realized that I just started feeling off on those days. That that real time that I was spending with the Lord was more fulfilling than any of the motions that I had gone through in the past. After I finished up the devotional book, I thought, all right, I'm going to jump into the Bible. So I started off with Proverbs, one Proverbs a day. That was a good intro for me. And then I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into Psalms. Psalms took me a little longer to get through. But one of my favorite verses that popped out at me was Psalm 86, 11. The NIV version says it like this, teach me your way. Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And I like the New Living Translation. It says, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me a purity of heart so that I may honor you. David's prayer resonated with me. I realized I needed God's help with this. So I started praying through this psalm on a regular basis. I was asking the Lord to teach me his ways. Help me to understand his commands so that I can live according to his truth. And then I asked him for an undivided heart and a clean heart that I could honor him. The more time I spent in the word, the more I felt like the Holy Spirit was highlighting different scripture that he wanted me to pray and ask God for help in whatever I was struggling with at the time. I was seeking God differently than I ever had before, and I was beginning to see Him in my life. 
Back in Psalm 27, David starts off. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord. David knew he couldn't do it alone. David is referred to as a man after God's own heart, and he needed help. Jesus reminds us of the same thing in John 15, 5. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you don't know where to start asking God for help, I would encourage you to start praying through Scripture. And maybe even in Psalms. These three Psalms have been a huge part of my prayer life. Psalm 8611 and Psalm 5110. David says, create in me a pure heart, O God. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, he says, Search me and know my heart. Point out anything in me that offends you. So we can't stop here. I think this is where a lot of us get tripped up. We stop and we say, God, I need your help. And we sit and we wait. And we want him to do everything from there. I think that God is asking us and desires for us to do our part And to purify our hearts. My favorite book on desiring more of God is The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. In his book, he says that sin has so clouded the lenses of our hearts that we cannot see the other reality, the city of God shining all around us. This is so true. Sin blinds us. We're missing the city of God shining all around us. Our ability to see God is limited by the sin that's in our lives. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that a pure heart will allow us to see God. So back to my my story. Through regular time of studying God's word... I began to better understand his commands and why they were there. I noticed that the more time I spent in the word, the more I desired to live a life that was glorifying and honoring to him. I began to see a transformation in my life. To be honest with you, it was a slow process. It did not happen overnight. But for the first time in my life, I didn't feel like I was trying to be a better person because of a sermon that I had heard. I was responding to God's love in my life. I was trying to live the pure life that he created me to live. This time, my heart was more deeply invested in the process. My heart was less divided, and it began to desire righteousness and purity over worldliness. In 1 John chapter 3, the Apostle John shares with us that God loves us, And he calls us children of God. And that someday we will all see Christ face to face. In verse 3 he continues that all who have this hope in him purify themselves. Just as he is pure, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he may take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Wow, that's pretty straightforward. No one who continues to sin has either seen him 
or known him? It's clear here that sin in our life prevents us from fully seeing and knowing God. Peter tells us to rid ourselves of all malice now that we have tasted that the Lord is good. So, do we have to live perfect lives in order to see God? I want to look back at a few famous men of God. Let's start with Abraham. Abraham was a liar, and he didn't trust God. He didn't always trust God. He was referred to as God's friend. And David, David was an adulterer and a murderer, but he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. Again, I love how Tozer explains God's view of these men when he says, it's not perfection, but holy intention that made the difference. This makes me ask myself, are my intentions holy? Am I asking God to point out sin in my life so that I can honor him? Am I making every effort to rid myself of sin so that I can see God more clearly? Are you making every effort to pursue a heart so that you may honor him and see more of God in your life? Are you asking God for help or are you still trying to do it all under your own power? Have you made the decision to seek God with your whole heart? And are you spending time, regular time with the one who created you to see him? I want us all to experience more of God. I know what it feels like to go through the motions versus truly seeking God and seeing him work in my life. This is real stuff. And there'll be a few of us up front after service for anyone that would love to talk through and pray through what this could look like in your life. Remember, we were created by our Heavenly Father to see Him. I want us all to live for what we have been created for. Jesus explained how we can see God in our lives. That with an undivided and clean heart, seeking God above all else, And asking him for help because we know we can't do it on our own. And working through the process of purifying our hearts so that we can see God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you so much for this time together this morning to learn more about you and to worship you in song. Lord, thank you for your son and his sacrifice on the cross. On that day, the veil was torn and it opened up the opportunity for us to have a relationship with you. Lord, we want to see you more. I ask that as we leave here today that you draw near to us as we draw near to you. Lord, teach us your ways so that we may live according to your truth. Give us a pure heart that we may honor you. 
Lord, point out anything in us that is offensive to you and purify our hearts. We thank you for giving us everything we need to live our lives for you. I ask that you encourage those in this room that that need to ask you for help. Those that want to make the decision to seek you with their whole hearts. Lord, help us all as we seek you more. In your son's heavenly name, amen.